Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples and savours the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world including the World Car of the Year. We discuss the legality of making autonomous cars compulsory, we road test the Audi S1, and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including April Fool's Day's jokes that seem to be changing a little in nature. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. Mercedes-Benz has won three of the five major World Car of the Year awards, including the overall winner for the C-Class. They also won the 2015 World Luxury Car with their large S-Coupé and the World Performance Car with their AMG GT. The World Car Design of the Year was won by the Citroen C4 Cactus. The Cactus is a small SUV which has been described as quirky, funky, yet still practical. Its most obvious feature are the innovative air bump protective strips, which are tough air-filled polyurethane panels on the side doors, designed to protect against car park scrapes and dints. The world green car was won by the BMW i8, the supercar-looking vehicle that is a plug-in hybrid. Sales of Japanese and German manufactured vehicles have pushed the March vehicle sales in Australia to record levels, while local manufacturers Ford and Holden slip badly. The March market is up 8% on the same period last year, and in year-to-date terms the market is up 4% on last year. Mazda, Nissan and Mitsubishi have all shown double-digit growth for March, while there must be huge signs of relief at Honda, who have had a long run of declining sales in the past. Their March sales are up over 75% on last year, based on the re-entry of the HRV into the market and on the sales of their small cars, the City and the Jazz. Most of their other models continue to decline. Volkswagen, Mercedes, BMW and Audi are all up over 15%. A new exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria takes the Australian car into the realm of art. Cars are not only functional, but also objects of style and beauty, and this exhibition sets to tease out the Australian contribution to automobile design. 23 iconic Australian cars have been selected for display, which trace the development from the late 19th century's steam-powered horseless carriages through to the Lewis Bant 1934 ute, muscle cars, powerful V8s and stunning concept vehicles. Cars on display include the Holden Hurricane concept car from 1969, the Bolwell Nagari and more well-known vehicles such as the Chrysler Charger, Holden Monaro and Holden Tirana. The exhibition is on the ground floor of the Federation Square building. Toyota says it has completely rethought the way its future car factories will operate. Its plans for the new generation factories, nicknamed Simple and Slim, are well advanced. Toyota claims they will be 25% smaller than existing plants, require 40% less investment and emit up to 55% less CO2. 
Toyota also plans to re-engineer the production lines so they can be shortened or lengthened in less than 80 minutes. It's claimed that a standard line can be shrunk from a 100,000 car per year capacity to just 50,000 cars, or vice versa. This would allow capacity to be easily reduced or increased depending on demand. The factories will be powered by a number of different sources and use 40% less energy overall. The Renault Twizy is a battery-powered two-seater urban car. It appeals to adults who want a small car that is easy to navigate in a city environment. It has a maximum range of 100 kilometres. But it also has an appeal to young teenagers. It is legally classified in Europe as a heavy quadricycle, or a light quadricycle, for the low-powered Urban 45 model. As such, in France, it can be driven by 14-year-olds. The Twizy 45 is considered by Renault a safer and more comfortable alternative to a scooter. It comes with an airbag, double seat belts, disc brakes and a protective cell. The car is very small, measuring 2.34 metres long by 1.24 metres wide, with driver and passenger sitting in a tandem arrangement. The concept of a solar-powered bicycle might create images of a normal bike with big panels hanging off it, making for an awkward result. Now a Denmark firm has produced a solar bike that looks little different from a normal bicycle. The secret is that the solar panels are in the wheels, so that you no longer see spokes, but rather the solar collectors. There is also a long tube on the frame that contains the batteries. A full charge can propel the bike at 50 kilometers an hour up to a distance of 60 kilometers. On a sunny day, the solar panels will add another 24 kilometers, but on a cloudy day, it will extend the range less than two. So you might still have to pedal. And that has been the news. The motoring industry is flushed with predictions that autonomous cars will reduce the crash rate. The most often used figure is to say that crashes will go down by 80%. If this is the case, then we should actively push towards the adoption of the new technology, perhaps even make people use it. Will this mean the end of the age-old method of actually controlling your car, the joy of driving? Elon Musk, the American entrepreneur who is the driving force behind Tesla electric vehicles, suggests that there may come a time when we will be made to use autonomous capabilities of vehicles. Could this happen? John Jamison is the founder and principal of Jamison Foley, who are specialists in crash investigations and expert witness advice. John, thanks very much for your time. Hi, David. The first uh, question is, could I get sued or, or taken up in court uh, for, say, negligence by not having my autonomous car turned on? Well, certainly not now, but uh, the person you quoted said sometime in the future. Yeah. I think there might be sometime in the future, say, I don't know, 50 years where that might happen. But currently, uh, uh, the way the law works, although being an engineer and not a lawyer, hmm. from my experience, it means that uh, it's the lowest common denominator type of uh, arrangement where if cars are able to be registered with a minimal amount of uh, safety equipment, say seat belts and uh, 
brakes and so on, even drum brakes, then that's the standard on which the accused is judged. And uh, any if they go below that, they're li- liable to be sued that, uh, or charged. Hmm. But if they go above that, it's just a bonus. And I've had many cases on both sides of that uh, that equation. Really? Uh, if you were to turn the, tra- the traction control off, which you can do now, but you did some mischievous behaviour, that could... Uh, could put you in a difficult situation in the courts? Yes, I think it could, actually. In in the context of a criminal court, if, for example, I've done cases like this where uh, some lads might be skylarking Mm. and uh, one witness inside a car sees the driver turn off the tracks control, then they skylark and crash, that looks very poor for the driver. And while there's no specific charge which says (laughs) turn tracks control off, it doesn't go well for the driver in the eyes of the court. Yeah, if I if I turn it all off to do burnouts and and hoon through the streets, then then obviously that might uh, uh, be the the case. But yeah, as you say, I mean you can turn even the electronic stability program off, which has been proved to be a a marvellous safety feature in cars. Well, yes, the ESCs, uh, particularly for high speed wet driving, are just a godsend because. Hmm. As your listeners know, they keep the car straight if uh, the car starts to slide in the rain. And by very sophisticated computer gyros and braking, um, they can straighten the car up. Uh, but again, because they're not compulsory in all cars and cars can be registered without them, um, uh, the courts aren't able to charge a person or be able to sue a person if they don't have such safety devices but that's now I mean who knows what's happening in 20 years yeah yeah, it could be happening. I mean, America is making reversing cameras mandatory on new cars but I guess there's no no law to say you have to use it well that's right again for the same reason that because you're able to register a car without one mm. they can hardly uh, force a driver who has one to use it yeah. although I'm sure your listeners and I personally find reversing cameras a wonderful thing, particularly if you not, not know, David, there are many, many fatal crashes in Australia where parents and grandparents back their four-wheel drives in the driveways or out of driveways and run over the grandchild. It happens all the time. I think in America there's about 6,000 accidents, not deaths, but 6,000 reversing accidents a year, uh, serious ones. Uh, to, to, to yes, well, cer- certainly, yeah, yeah, certainly reversing cameras and re- reversing sensors are wonderful. Again, as uh, we all know, the price of electronics is coming down exponentially, and even little cars like little uh, hatchbacks, $20,000 hatchbacks, have an array of electronic systems. Even 10 years ago, was considered you know, Star Wars-type uh, things. John, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, David. And that's John Jamison, the founder and principal of Jamison Foley, specialist in crash investigations and expert witness advice. They're talking about autonomous cars. Might they do away with the great joy of driving? Time will tell. And you can hear the full interview of that uh, on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au
I've often talked about how well a car turns into a corner, the level of grip and precision that it affords when you turn the wheel. But the Audi S1 Sportback made me think a lot about how it comes out of a corner. This small pocket rocket is all-wheel drive and I drove it in the wet on some very tight roads. The sure-footed way it gripped the road under power was a delight to feel. It's not cheap. But is it worth the money? To help us understand that, I have on the line Paul Murrell from the practicalmotoring.com.au. Paul, this uh, S1, it's a little car, but it shares a, a heritage name with an early model Audi, doesn't it? Yes, indeed it does, David. Um, it goes back to probably before most of your listeners were born <laughs> in, 19, in 1982 when the, uh, when the Group B rally cars went completely and utterly insane. They were big, fast, hard hard to drive cars and the original Audi Quattro was called the S1. Uh, yeah, and not not a pretty car the original one it was very boxy and angular and and flared guards square flared guards over the wheels. Uh it it looked a beast. It certainly did look a beast but it also looked the part. I think it's a matter of beauty is <laughs> in the eye of the beholder and certainly during the 82 and 83 rally seasons the S1 did not look pretty to its competitors, I can assure you. <laughs> it was the first one to take up the new rules that allowed all-wheel drive. It was, indeed. It was all-wheel drive, and it was almost, it was almost like no rules at all. Um, we had things like the BMG Metro 6R4 and the Ford RS200, which were absolutely fearsome beasts. Mm. And, and the thing with the Audi was, because it was so much power, and in such a short wheelbase, it was like trying to drive a rocket-powered roller skate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. A, well, the, the uh, Metro was a, another square, ugly car too, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was very ugly. I rented one in Britain once, and I think I was just embarrassed to park it anywhere. <laughs> but it, I can assure you, it wasn't a, it wasn't a 6R4. <laughs> Indeed. Now, the uh, Audi, the new S1, we're talking here a very small car, aren't we? Indeed we are. It's only 3.9 metres long, so it's, it, as you said in your intro, it definitely is a pocket rocket. Mm. Yeah, uh, but uh, it does have a, a, a sizeable engine and a lot of power. Always a great combination for a small pack, <laughs> for a small hatchback, I can assure you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it certainly packs a lot of power. It's, it's almost like the Volkswagen group, of which, of course, Audi is part, wants to dominate the hot hatch category they've got the, the golf gti and the golf r and the golf you know various variants of the golf r mm. and now of course out comes the audi s1 which is another very hot little car mm. 170 kilowatts 370 newton meters a turbocharged two liter i think uh that's uh, really punching it certainly is and when you when you match that up with I mean, these days 1340 kilograms isn't very much. I mean, in the old days, of course, they weighed a lot less than that, but we can't do that these days with safety equipment and whatever. Mm. But, you know, 170 kilowatts, 370 newton metres, and, you know, 1.3 tonnes of weight is a good combination. It's very enjoyable out there, I can assure you. You had a good time driving it? I did. Um, you know, this little car will get to 100 kilometres per hour in 5.9 seconds, which Jeez. not too many years ago was, was you know, super supercar category. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, amazing, isn't it? I think the interior of it's pretty nice too. It is. Audi, <clears throat> Audi is famous for its interiors, and they get it right almost every time. And and the amazing thing is that even when you get down now to a small car like the S1, or indeed it's its lesser brethren, the interiors are really beautiful quality 
beautifully put together, just a really nice place to be. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, I think it was enjoyable to be there. Seats which were part cloth, part leather, but um, a nice little steering wheel, th- those sorts of things were good about it. Oh, absolutely! All the things, all the things that make you feel like you can be a, a champion rally driver, <laughs> even if, like us, you can't, um, are, are there. Yeah, um, and it's it's equally as useful just you know pottering backwards and forwards to the shops because it really is a town car sized car. Hmm. Yeah, not a lot of room in the back if you want passengers. Oh no, no, you won't be carrying you won't be carrying your large friends down to the down to the pub. I can assure you. Hmm. Well, but then again, we are talking about a very small car in that category. No turbo lag really to note. So as you say, I think it makes it easier to drive. It does. Um, turbo lag is pretty much... The engineers have done a great job now with turbo lag, and not just Audi, but most cars have pretty well dialed out turbo lag. It used to be awful. I mean, if you ever drove the old uh, Saab turbo, hmm. the original Saab turbo, I mean, you'd sit there and wait a week for the power to come on, <laughs> and then it would scare the living daylights out of you when it did. And the same with the 930 turbo Porsche. I mean, hmm. up until up until about three or 4,000 revs, absolutely nothing happens, and then, then the world just turns into a blur. But these days, turbo lag is pretty much a thing of the past. Always good to talk to you, Paul. Thanks very much for your time. You too, David. Thank you. And that's Paul Morell from uh, practicalmotoring.com.au. And we were talking about the Audi S1. And a longer interview is available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Well, we've been through April Fool's Day, and what better way to introduce to our chat session, uh, whom we have with Brian Smith. Good day, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And as I was saying, April Fool's Day pranks have been legendary in the motor industry. There's been quite a few this year. One was saying that Ford would produce a hover car. Another saying Australia would go left-hand drive. The Holden Commodore Cat Pack was another. The Mini Chrome Line Extension Deluxe. And Nissan saying you could do a 3D printer of their GTR performance car. But I think things seem to be evolving. It's no longer just a clever press release or a story. It's becoming a much more marketing exercise. It has been called the reverse April Fool's Day joke. And this is what, uh, uh, this is where you might be made a fool of, but then you win a prize. Chevrolet in America was giving out a whole pile of things and BMW in New Zealand they offered the first person to turn up would get a brand new BMW if they traded in any old car. A lady did it, and she won it, and so she, uh, April Fool, not at all. She's done very well. A, a different approach, team? Yeah, look, I, don't, I, I like the conventional thing where you make stupid statements and try and fool people. I mean, the, the New Zealand one, they actually put an ad in the paper on the on the front page that said April Fool's Day special. So it was a it was a proper gimmick, not not uh, mm. you know laughing at the people who think that they're going to get a cheap car, but actually giving away a cheap car. It's, it's quirky, I guess, but I I really do prefer if you're going to have April Fools, you may as well do something stupid like um, towing an ice 
Berg into Sydney Harbour. Yeah, yeah. It, mm. it, it sort of it takes away the sort of uh, the humour of it in a way, doesn't it? And it also then just t- turns it into a marketing exercise. Uh, the thing that BMW did, I think it was that one, they they filmed it, and of course the film of her picking up the BMW goes viral. So mm-hmm. it, it's a whole marketing I, I, exercise. I, I did like that they made the ad intentionally vague, so it looks like an April Fool's joke. And, right. and you had to walk in and you had to ask for a particular person, you know, in the back office. Right. And everybody else played dumb. So... Um, uh, this this the, this lady is the you know was the first person to actually call their bluff on it, so I guess the, that's the morale of the story. Is, well, I, um, what I found was the the American ones were quite boring. The Chevrolet ones, so, yeah. like they talk about Kid Rock giving it's a surprise a bit, a bit like, concert, a bit like the cars, really. Yeah, Kid Rock giving a surprise concert to soldiers in Florida. I mean, what is you jump out and say April Fools? I mean. Yeah. Where's this? Where's the April Fool component of this? Because you not, have to listen to Kid Rock. <laughs> let's not water down um, the concept of April Fools just to turn it up, turn it into some kind of surprise thing. Well, the other so-called April Fools was uh, actor Alec Baldwin dressed up as Abraham Lincoln with what has got to be one of the worst false beards I've ever seen. <laughs> it looks like steel wool. Yeah, you know, it's really just not very good at all. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I suspect he wanted to be recognisable. <laughs> yeah, and 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 they talked to and they had an indie car driver and a bunch of other sort of you know motoring celebrities involved with this stuff. America gets into celebrity, doesn't it? I mean, Alec Baldwin. This has got to be the fattest looking Abraham Lincoln <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> just and and yes, you meant to be the, you know, the thirty rock version. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, uh, again, Brian. I think it's your point. It's hardly April Fool, is it? It's marketing has has taken it over, and of course, everything to do with marketing ruins the original idea. It ruins the concept. Yes, but uh, so I guess on on the first of April, though, if it sounds too good to be true, it isn't. Hmm. Maybe. I think that's a, a, a wise thing. Now, Errol, you've got a story that I wondered whether it was an April Fool's for a while, but uh, just to make sure, what's that about? This is about probably the, the worst surface to ride a street bike on, and, and those are the dreaded cobblestones. But uh, do not fear jarring through the, your bones anymore. Uh, sports car maker Jaguar and bike maker Pinarello are here with their game-changing <laughs> rear suspension system. And uh, for those for which bike riding is almost a religion, this bike is called, wait for it, the Dogma. <laughs> That's yeah. what made me wonder. That's, I, I, I double-checked. It wasn't, this uh, story didn't come out on the 1st of April. Yes, yeah, this is all, you know, it's, it's all a bit silly. This, is, uh, so I, I, this seems to be a cross-promotion with their uh, Team Sky, which is a... a bicycle um, team that the Jaguar sponsors. Um, and the only reason I know this is because where I work at uh, Australia's uh, second cousin public television station, um, they have one of their Jaguar F-types um, covered in the Team Sky logos, parked in the a sort of a marketing stunt in the car park. So oh, it's interesting, really? like one of the, the, um, the attractions of these uh, cobble races, and, and in the European r- cycle racing uh, circuit there is a day race called the Tour of Flanders. Uh, sorry, the 
there's the Tour of Flanders and there's a day race called uh, Paruta Bay where famously the route takes you on sections of this hideous parve and, and you have cyclists who are falling off, covered in mud and, and who knows what else, uh, being completely jarred for kilometres at a time at high speed on these very difficult roads. And, and cycle companies have tried to you know, introduce suspension and things like that onto their bikes. It's, it's incredibly hard on, on people. I'm not sure that this is you know, making it too easy to ride it. This is a, 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 like a, a, a special design cobble bike. Um, with a mm. rear suspension, it, seem, it's, it's, it seems to be, yeah. Golly, yeah. So they haven't, got, they haven't gone. They haven't gone full. Yeah. Well, that's. No, I think that's what they're they're trying to avoid. Is uh, yeah. Is um, so the trade off is that it, um, the stiffer the bike, the more efficient it is at transferring the the power from your legs to the to the um, the drivetrain and moving along. So you you have to sacrifice comfort for rigidity and and efficiency. And so there are sections of these races which are not on the parve, not on the cobble. So you have sections on normal roads and you go into into the cobble. So it'll be interesting to see whether the benefit of um, the cobbles is, uh, of this sort of bike on the cobbles is um, outweighed by the loss of sort of efficiency on the normal road. Well, that's a bit of the trade-off you get with a sports car. It's stiff yeah, it's handling. Yeah, same, similar, same thing, yeah. I wonder what sort of image Jaguar has with bicycles. It just doesn't necessarily fit so much. If it was a bit off-road or rough-road, maybe we should be sponsored or, or work with Range Rover. Yes, this is mm. a good point, David, but they're all owned by the same parent, aren't they? But, yes, yes. But, yeah, why not yes. a Range Rover Pinarello um, match-up? Bike, because yeah. it's, it's unlikely yeah. that the people who... Uh, are interested in, you know, the off-road bicycling or are going to see themselves buying Jaguars. See, I, th- I thought if it had a Jaguar was making a bike, it'd end up with a wooden dash. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Wooden handlebars. <laughs> wooden handlebars or a cigar lighter. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. and, you know, in the pedals, you'd put your feet into thick Axminster carpet. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it greatly. You're very welcome. Harris. And that's Brian Smith and Errol Smith talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And you can hear a longer segment of quirky news, including the story of a lady who wanted a road sign for her 500 hedgehogs. Just go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Paul Murrell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Now, if you would like to hear extended segments of the show or past episodes, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.